Hello and welcome back to another episode of Fully Books, the Hidden Gems author podcast in which Craig Touch and myself, Roland Hume, chat to some of the interesting figures and leading lights of this crazy industry we're in of writing and self-publishing. And today we are delighted to have a very special guest calling in all the way from Cyprus. And I'm very, very excited to talk to Mr. Myron Edwards, who is a freelance writer. He's got a long and storied career in comedy, including some of the shows that I grew up on. So I'm really excited to hear about that. He's also an author of a, a Cyprus mystery series. So, Myron, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you, Roland, and uh, thank you for the opportunity. Um, uh, it's hot and sweaty here today, so I, I, I'm in the right environment, put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, we wouldn't be here without the man himself, Craig Touch, the owner and founder of Hidden Gems and an author himself. How are you doing today, Craig? I'm doing well. Thanks, uh, Roland. And and thanks, Myron. I know, you know, you're all the way in Cyprus. That's pretty far away. So uh, and, and the time zone, I know, is very different. Uh, I think nighttime for you. So we appreciate you, uh, you know, making some time for us here. And, um, you know, you have such a great history of writing uh, for, you know, British uh, comedy shows and sitcoms and sketch comedy and all that stuff. So, uh, you know, that's something that I think is a is a good sort of topic to talk about with our audiences most of us um are self-published authors of novels and and uh you know short stories novellas so this sort of thing is is sort of another avenue plus you might have some insight about how to you know write comedy for you know to put into novels and and stories as well and how it differs maybe from from sitcoms so why don't you tell us a bit about you know how how you all got started with uh with this stuff and and you know where your your career's taken you and how you got to where you are now Okay, um, well, I'm going to pricey this because it needs to just, to, just to quickly give you an introduction. I was a drummer in a rock band, and uh, a chap that I worked with worked in Hammer Films in, um, in London. And uh, we were all in the same band together. And one day he came to me and said to her, look, I've got a friend in um, uh, hospital radio in Charing Cross. He needs some sketches. And I said, oh, good, good God, I've never written any sketches. So he said, well, we need some sketches because it's for the patients. And what you can do is you can record them as well and play them to the patients. So in the story, we did six, six lots of series of, for, the, for the patients and uh, they loved it. Great, wonderful. We had all this material left over, all the sketches we'd written and everything else. And uh, Phil decided he wanted to send them to Dave Allen because Dave Allen was a really top comic then in those days. So we sent it to Dave Allen. Unfortunately, it was right at the end of the series of Dave Allen because he used to do his recordings on a week-by-week basis, but it was right at the end. Uh, he said that some the, the guy who wrote back said, yeah, it's really nice stuff, really good stuff. Next time the next series comes up, we'll consider you for, for doing that. In the meantime, the gags that we sent, we also sent to the two Ronnies. Now, the two Ronnies was the biggest comedy duo in the UK at that time. And um, I don't know whether it was luck or or just or kismetic i think it's a bit of both uh we got on the christmas show and that was a huge huge thing uh, they're popular they, the um uh, what shall i say the the broadcast audience must have been something like 20 million so but it, it was fantastic to be able to be able to go on to the two ronnies and uh have a gag put on there you know uh, to be in that sort of company was 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 incredible that gave us the bug from there what we then did was we looked for different comedy areas to uh shall we say uh 
make our make our, our names a bit more uh, recognizable. So we went into a, a really nice guy, a chap called Roy Hud. He he had a he had a weekly program called the the Hud Lines. Now the Hud Lines was open to anybody and everybody, and it meant that what you could do is you could send in a gag or whatever, or as a sketch or or something, and the producer would look at it. Well, the producer for Hud Lines at that time was a chap called John Lloyd. Now John Lloyd is a very famous guy because he's the guy who uh, produced Blackadder. Um, and he's produced lots of other stuff as well, but but Blackadder is his main is his main um, uh, so we say sitcom, and everybody knows how famous Blackadder is with uh, Rowan Atkinson, etc. So I was in at the right area when I talk about the t- people that I was working with. I was working with uh, Roy Hudd, and he had uh, several people uh, who were also in and around that area. David Jason, who went on to do Only Fools and Horses. Um, uh, and then I had uh, people very similar. Griff jones who was actually a producer on Weekending, which was the second show that I did. Now, Weekending was different to Hudlines because what it was was it was more satirical. Hudlines was more funny, funny, one-liner gags, whereas Weekendings were sketches. So I would write sketches for Weekendings as well as doing one-liner things like uh, the news next week and things like that. And some of the producers that I was lucky enough to work with, I worked with John on there. I worked with Griff Rees-Jones, and I also worked with Douglas Adams, who wrote um, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So I was in and around with those kind of people. Um, unfortunately, I was married at the time, and I do mean unfortunately because it was the first one. It was a disaster. Um, and, and unfortunately, then it was a case of pay the mortgage or get out. So at that time, that, that time if I'd known better, I would have got out. But unfortunately, I stuck with the mortgage. Um, so I was in a, a, pitch, a, a situation where I was able to get in but I couldn't get into the uh, the, the echelon, if you like, the inner circle, because in, in doing that, you would have had to do that on a full-time basis. Um, so I was lucky enough. I got in on the outside, on the periphery, and Phil and I worked on, on various sketches, and we worked um, with – I worked mainly on weekendings and headlines, uh, um, and then we got into TV – um, not the nine o'clock news, which was also produced by John Lloyd. Um, that was with uh, Rowan Atkinson, um, Mel Smith, Pamela Stevenson, and um, uh, Griffey Jones, because Jeffrey Jones took over from uh, Richard Langham on the first episode. Uh, now Griff was a really good, nice guy. He's uh, he, he's uh, done some really good stuff. Uh, he worked with Ale- uh, he, Alias Smith and Jones with Mel Smith. Unfortunately, Mel died very young, as indeed Douglas Adams did. Um, and uh, it was then a case of where do I go from here when I'm still working, I'm still doing writing. But at the time, I was fortunate enough to continue my writing because I went into copywriting. I worked in uh, I worked in travel for thirty years. That's where I, I, my my main career was. But um, 
I diversified, and what I did was I moved into JWT. I was running JWT as a travel travel manager, but then I worked into went into JWT, and people said to me, "Well, you do writing and that. Why don't you become a copywriter?" And I was like, oh, "What the hell's a copywriter? I've no idea what a copywriter is." Uh, so, so they said to me, "Was well, it somebody who does all the adverts? You know, they they, they create all the." the campaigns and that. And I thought, oh, well, all right, I'll give it a go. They said, well, yeah, it's not that easy. You've got to pass the copy test, first of all. So first of all, you've got 10 questions which are practically impossible to answer. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not going to them now, but they, they, they basically test your creativity. And I passed the copy test. It was the first one in three years that I passed the copy test. I did some sample ads as well, which were... Guinness ads, I had to take the original Guinness ad, take that out and do another gag. Um, and then I was lucky enough to be promoted up from the first floor or the bottom floor up to the third floor where the creative team were. So I was working in JWT. I was still doing the BBC. I was running backwards and forwards like a blue-ass fly trying to get going to get my sketches done, getting my uh, comedy done getting getting uh, everything done. And then along came a, an opportunity as well for me to work with um, Scottish television. And there was a, a program called Kick Up the 80s, uh, which was with, um, uh, oh, God, the woman who, um, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I've forgotten her name. Uh, I'll come back to it. She, she was the one who basically had, uh, Tracy Allman got it. She was the one who introduced The Simpsons, okay? She had a Tracy Ullman show, and for right, 10 yeah. minutes, 15 minutes, she brought The Simpsons on as a, an introduction. So th yeah. they they showed The Simpsons. Tracy was uh, then doing her own show in America. But prior to that, she did some sketches uh, for um, a kick up the 80s. So I was lucky enough to have her sketch done, my, well, my sketch done by her on a kick up the 80s. So th that that was a, another string in my bow, so, so to speak, because I got onto Scottish television from there. Um, and then at that time, there was some aggravation at home, uh, decided that we go the separate ways and we went the separate ways. Um but also at the same time, when I was uh, when I was working, when I was writing uh, for JWT, there was a complete disaster with the advertising world. Um, normally, the advertising world is, particularly for JWT, it's advertising for TV and radio. Um, and what happened was it was an ITV strike. So bang, everything went out the window. The ITV strike was the first time in their history that they stopped all the commercials on the television. Um, and, of course, that was revenue that went completely out of the window. So I was left um, with um, the, the choice of being made redundant, uh, which is what probably that I did. Um, and then from there, I went back into the travel business. I went back into a, a merchant bank. Oh, no, I was still doing writing as well, but not to the sort of level that I was before. Um, the programs were still there. Headlines were still there. Weekendings were still there. But I, I, I had to then decide what I was going to do the next the next thing that I did. Um, and, and 
This has nothing to do with comedy, but I'll just tell you what I did afterwards. One night I was coming back from London where I, I was coming back on the tube. Uh, sorry, I, I, not on the tube. The tubes, there was a tube strike. So I was walking back and I looked at my watch and I thought, right, I'll bugger this. I'm going to take some shortcuts. So I took shortcuts back from Tottenham Court Road to Liverpool Street. And it took me less time in many ways than it would have if I'd gone on the tube. So I thought to myself, well, hold on, this is like a seems like a good idea. So about a week later, I met up with a taxi driver who knew the knowledge of London. And I said to him, what's, what's the chances of you being able to do, say, 12 maps, just different directions from Fenchurch Street, Liverpool Street and all the rest of it? And I created a, a map a book. And this map book was called Tube Walking. And it showed you how to get from A to B using just taxi driver's knowledge of A to B. And it gave you the route and it gave you the time and everything else. So that got me back into the publicity side of things. Um, and then from from there, I just went on um, looking for different jobs. Um, I became... Um, uh, where did I go from there? I'm just trying to think after I left tube walking. Uh, I went back into, oh, I went into Chinatown and worked back in the travel agency business. I think that that covers my sort of background until I moved here to Cyprus, which was in 2004. Wow. <laughs> it's quite it, the resume you have there. It's a checkered I'm, career. Yeah, exactly. Now, I'm, it's I'm fun, retired it's, now. It's funny, Craig might not be familiar with all of the names you mentioned but for me growing up in england two ronnies was an institution i used to sit there with tears streaming down my cheeks watching their sketch show blackadder is one of the the best written like most oh, unique yeah. comedies of all time tracy yeah. Ullman, what a legend to work with and her sketches were yeah. hilarious so yeah. i mean it, it it's amazing to me you um the how did you get to write? How did you go about writing stuff that you knew was going to be funny? How do you um, write stuff that is funny? That's it's very difficult to to to, to sort of give you a, a formula because each joke, each gag has its own sort of um, shall we say its its own weight of 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 hilarity. See. Comedy is like is like in the eye of the beholder. What what some people think is funny, others people will think it's awful. You know, it's it's terrible. Um, and today's comedians and things like that, you have to analyse what they what what they are trying to do. I write in pictures. I can't do anything else other than write in pictures. So if I'm writing a gag, I've got to see the gag. See. Uh, now I'll give you a quick gag that I did for for um, for uh, Roy for Roy Hud. Okay, it's a quick gag. It's um, you will probably understand it, Roland, more so than Craig, because it's got an English feel to it. Okay, but it's the scientists have discovered that the key to infertility is artificial insemination. Okay which is what I've always said, that tubes help you breed more easily. You know, so there you go. Uh, I see. I do understand that because it's, uh, well, it's the, the tagline of uh, the, the tunes, mental 
Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, breaks like yeah. Well, comedy is definitely subjective, and and you know, I went to a comedy show here actually a couple of weeks ago, and it was like it was on so many levels of understanding. I didn't get all the jokes because you know, it was I was part of this. Uh, I was invited, and and everybody there was part of this group that went to a specific school. And right. this comedian was, you know, some of his jokes were generic. I got those. Some of right. them were about the school. I didn't really get a lot of those. But also, he was South African, and everybody there was South African. So a lot of his jokes were South African. So I only got some of those, you know. Right. And it's like, right. it's, it, you know, same sort of thing. It's very subjective, right? Yeah, it's it's you see, it's subjective because what what you've got to remember is like, comedy is is. Um, is across all boards, all right? It, it covers everything. You've now got you've got comedy like, for example, the the comedy of Jimmy Carr, the comedy of Ricky Gervais, the Billy Connollys, for example. They, they are all scenario comedies. They they basically work on the idea of creating pictures for you, which is to a certain extent what I do. But then you have the comedy of going back to somebody like Lenny Bruce. Now Lenny Bruce was all all about teaching people how to how to understand comedy it, it didn't matter what what you were whether you were black white chinese or jewish or whatever his 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 way of doing comedy was to uh educate and and there are some incredible sketches where he basically takes the audience and completely uh humiliates the audience and by the time that that's that particular sketch, or if you like, monologue is over. He's got them crying in the old in the aisle because he was a complete genius, absolute genius. And and people like that are you know one in one in a million. They 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 have the capacity to be able to to not just talk about comedy but be comics. People like in England, Tony Hancock, a uh, terribly sad man, terribly sad but a brilliant comic. The way that he could deliver lines was, you know, second to none. Um, and then you, you, you look at the, the people like, for example, I will say Roy again. Roy was terribly under, underestimated. Roy's, Roy had, had some amazing uh, abilities. He, he could tell gags for going on for an hour, very much like Ken Dodd. Ken Dodd also could tell jokes. And in fact, he holds the Guinness World Records for telling jokes over a period of like 24 hours. He, I don't know how the audience stood it, but there you go. He, he told jokes for like 24 hours. And those those kind of people. But now you have the satirical people, like, for example, Jimmy Carr, Ricky Gervais. Those, those guys are there to be controversial. They're not. They're, they're, they're there to be controversial, but at the same time to be funny. So if you find them funny, are you laughing at them or are you laughing at yourself? Because this is this is the the way that people are, are doing it, and all this woke nonsense and all the rest of it. I can't tell that joke. You can't tell that joke. Go and look at the Jewish books of jo of jokes. There are bloody thousands of them thousands of, of, of Jewish jokes. And yet, if you tell the Jewish joke now, the woke society would be up in arms. If you tell a, a, a joke about uh, a colored person, an Indian or something like that, they would all be up in arms. Now, you talk about sitcoms. 
if you go back to the time when I was uh, in the 80s, let's say the 80s, you had things like um, uh, Only Fools and, uh, not Only Fools and Horses, uh, you had things like Love Thy Neighbour. Love Thy Neighbour, for example, would never get on the TV now, ever. It was about a black guy and a white uh, a black couple living next to a, a, a racist, and that's how they got on. He got on because he used to call him a a, 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 um, a white honk, a, a honky, and the other one he called him whatever he called him, and 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 the, the but people found it funny. You know, people found well, I it. Think, yeah, I think that, that's you know, it. I think a lot of comedy is also, you know, a reflection of the times that we live in, right? And as oh, yeah, our times absolutely. change, you know, the comedy changes. If you look at, you know, Archie Bunker, it's the same sort of thing, you know, the All in the Family back in the day. Uh, and that was what many people now consider quite racist in some cases, yes. uh, you know, but at the time it was like one of the biggest shows on TV, right? So, but Craig, you, know. you also have, with respect to the American side of things, you had a, a situation comedy called Soap, which was controversial in yeah, its own was, way, um, yeah, and, and that covered all different aspects. And you have Saturday Night Live, which hasn't really changed in format uh, since, it, since its conception, you know, from, from that point of view. And those kind of satirical programs were, were also very much in vogue at, at, at the time of um, uh, that's, that's um that was the week that was. This was this was well back in the seventies. In and and then of course you had Python. When Python came along, you had to have an IQ of one hundred and twenty to understand what the Python jokes were about. Because these guys were all out of Cambridge, they were fresh out of Cambridge, and their their comedy was so uh, revolutionary by comparison to what the the, the normal sort of. Um, knock on the door and, oh, is George there, you know, and, uh, oh, no, he's next door and all, all the rest of it. And and then somebody would trip on the doorstep and that uh, the, the, that, that kind of British, um, I, I, I suppose it's like a carry-on type comedy, um, was completely taken away when Python came in. Python came in and changed the whole concept. But then remember when Python was coming in, there was also the issue of um, women were wearing winnie skirts, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, all of those people were about at the same time. So the revolution not only took over in comedy, but it also took over in the general consensus of that particular period of time. So, yeah, I mean, and comedy has to move with the times. I think that's, yeah, sure. that's, that's, the, that's the essence of what it is. Right from the very first, uh, you know, um, joke that, was, that that there was, there had to be, there had to be a, a, an evolution of comedy, and and, yeah, and that, think, in many ways, is what's happened. Yeah, and I think you know, with the satirical stuff, that they're usually making satire of what's happening at that time, right? So you know, when you talk about like soap and stuff back in that day, you know, that was they were they were poking fun at what was going on back then, and you know, the shows that were going on. That was I think that was a takeoff of you know the daytime soap operas. And um, but if you look at Saturday Night Live, which you had also mentioned, you know, their their 
doing satire of you know current events and it's always current events and those current events are always changing over time so that's why it stayed relevant whether it stayed funny that's a different story (laughs) i think it used to be funny not as much so much for me anymore but you know younger kids maybe they find it funny right so it's you know i think audience would you find would you find rowan and martin's laughing funny I don't because know. I've never it, seen it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you see that Rowan and Martin's laughing was the equivalent of like, uh, I suppose, the variety show, but with a comedy slant to it because you had people like Marty Khan and, uh, and all of these kind of people, great characters who would then just do one liners. They come out of a box, believe it or not, sell a, sell a, say a joke and then go back in their box. You know, this is, this is how it was. It was that sort of cleaner comedy, as opposed to when when the revolution came in, the the, the situation comedy changed as well. Um, not for my not for my liking to the better, uh, because I still think the the likes of on the buses, which was a really good uh, funny funny program about a couple of bus cube uh, bus driver and his and his conductor which of course nobody has anymore um that they used to have some great situations and uh and then you uh till death is to part which was written by a guy called uh, mickey spate till death is to part was was so controversial it was untrue but people loved it People absolutely loved it. The, the audiences would be in the millions watching it, you know, but you'd never get away with it now. And it's like, to a certain extent, I, I, I personally lo- love Faulty Towers, okay? I think Faulty Towers was um, a breath of fresh air because please made it in him the way that he made it. He made it so that uh, it was unique. He only made 13 episodes, but... Now he's talking about bringing it back. I, I don't can't see how it can work because the characters that he created are so difficult to reproduce. Um, he, you know, as Faulty himself, um, yes, he he was an enigma, but it was also the surrounding characters: Manuel, the waiter, you know, the 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 colonel, the incidental characters as well played such an important role. And when you go into comedy, you've got to realise that it's not just one central character, which is what the beauty of something like Only Fools and Horses is is so so good at, because they're the main two characters, Del Boy and and uh, Rodney, have the around them the incidental characters who make up the show. The writing is is brilliant. Uh, it, 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 it was absolutely amazing. The writing. But the actual characterization, uh, particularly with David Jason, um, the way that he created Ronnie was was amazing. And I, I I work with him on, that, uh, weekend, on weekendings as well. Yes, you know, Faulty Towers and Only Fools and Horses—they're two wonderful examples of like real comedy writing that has a, a longer form, like. Faulty Towers to me is uh, one of the funniest shows ever because over the course of half an hour, you'd have this main character 
Basil Fawlty getting himself into a situation and then getting yeah. himself deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And it becomes more excruciating. And it's almost I used to watch it and feel like I had to get up and almost leave the room because I was dying of secondhand embarrassment for the character of, of Basil Fawlty. But that's what made it so compelling. And then it would all wind up. So even though it had individual funny things in at the very end, like everything yeah. was funny about it. And Only Fools and Horses was another one. There was that wonderful episode about them. Uh, I, they were trying to, uh, Rodney and uh, Derek were trying to, sorry, Del Boy, as they call them, were trying to pull a fast one on these uh, two Indian gentlemen who claimed that because they're of separate <laughs> castes, they couldn't speak to each other. And yeah. one of them had this this rare um, thing that he wanted to sell and the other one <laughs> was going to buy yeah. it. And so Del Boy and Rodney thought they could be the intermediaries and and make a, a killing on this but the very end of it was the fact that actually they'd got swindled and yes. it was just such one it was funny throughout you were laughing throughout but the end because the whole comedy thing was leading to this conclusion it just made it so hysterical i think there's so much you can learn from writing by looking at those at those long-form shows and and seeing yeah, how well absolutely um and the thing is what we've got to remember is Writing, even if it's a, if it's a book, if it's a if it's a, a sketch, it always has to have a twist. There must be something of a twist in it, in the story or in the in the final line or something like that, because you know you've got to you've got to have a punchline. Without that punchline, a, a joke has to have a punchline. Without the punchline. The joke is lost. It's just then just a piece of lit, lit, uh, literal words. That's all it is. But the punchline is crucial. Good comedians will do a punchline, but then they'll follow it up with another punchline with something that you don't expect. Um, and that that's the essence of very good co- comedy because uh, they they're in a situation where they've created the story for you. They've taken you to the end of the story. They've given you the punchline. And then just as you're expecting it, that's the end of the joke, there's another punchline. And that makes yeah. all the difference because, yeah. um, you know, anybody can tell a joke, but you can tell a joke poorly and, and that doesn't get you a laugh. Tell a joke with a punchline and then another punchline and you'll have them ro- rolling in the aisles. Yeah, and I think, you know, when you're writing a longer form, like a novel or, or something, you can't just um, have, uh, you know, a series of characters telling jokes to each other. You know, the, the story itself has to be funny. The characters, their interactions are generally funny. There's usually, you know, some sort of misadventure going on or, or a twist or something. But then, you know, at the end of it, if you can even add in sort of a punchline to the entire story, even though yes. throughout the story there were all these little punchlines, you can't, you know, you, you don't want to like have no punchlines throughout the whole story and there's, you re- have to read the book to get to the punchline and that's right. when you have your one, one laugh, right? You want to have laughs all the way through and then if you can have an even bigger laugh, a bigger, yes. you know, then, uh, yeah. And I think, you know, you have to think about who your audience is and the kind of humor that you want to deliver to them. And, and that also makes a big difference in terms of how you're going to write your comedy and what kind of comedy you're, you're, you're going to put I yeah, that's absolutely true. Because um, if you're doing stand-up, um, something I've, I would never have considered in my lifetime, I'll tell you, stand-up is just so difficult to do. Because 
unless you're unless you're known, you can get up. If you're a known person, you can get up and tell a band of jokes. And those jokes don't necessarily have to be the brilliant jokes because they'll laugh at anything if it's you. Okay, if it's somebody that's new and they're going up onto the stage and they're testing the mic, for example, or it's mic night, for example, you've got to be really good because you've got people there that are going to hackle you like nobody's business. You've got other people there who are not going to find you funny, even if you're the best, the best in the world. It, it, you, you, you've got to break into that in a unique and innovative way that actually would set you aside from the rest of the other set that is doing the same sort of thing as you are doing. So that's where the imagination of a comic has to come into play. And it has to be something that is worked on it, unless you have brilliantly natural talent. If you have natural talent, fine, you don't have an issue. But, you know, you, you look at the, you look at people um who who have gone on stage and have crashed and you think to yourself you poor buggers you know you it's unfortunate but you're just not cut out for that and i'm not i'm not saying i'm not being derogatory or anything to anybody but there are people i'm not mentioning names or anything but there are there are groups on facebook um and i've i've watched people on facebook and this is to help these people who are on Facebook. They come on and they will write um, some gags, okay, in a particular group. I read the gag and I'm thinking to myself, well, that's just not funny. Why is that not funny? Why have they written this without thinking, thinking it through? If there's a gag... Think it through. Think of what your punchline is going to be. Or it's just prose. At the end of it, it's just a, a prose. There's, there's no humour to it. And humour is the most difficult thing to write. And uh, everybody, you know, in that particular scenario, when they have gone on to their, their particular thing on Facebook and have written their gag or whatever and have asked for comments, the comments have been really quite harsh, you know, because it's not funny. But these poor people are trying to try to try to do it, but they're just not funny. And unfortunately, sometimes it works like that. Comedy is something that you have to nurture, or it's inherent in your particular, uh, shall we say, abilities. I'm not being cruel because I, I don't want to be cruel to people, but there you do see an awful lot of people who try so hard to be funny and they're just not funny. And some people don't need to try at all and they're hilarious. Yes, exactly. Yes, uh, absolutely. Some people can walk on stage. You know as well as I do, Roland. Tommy Cooper, absolute oh God, genius, yes. right? Absolute genius. All he could do was walk on stage with his fez hat on and, and people will actually laugh at him and he hadn't done a bloody thing. He's done, he done nothing. He's just walked on stage. He says, and then he walks off, you know. Do you know Tommy Cooper was on stage at the London Palladium doing the variety show and it was coming up to the interval and he uh, coming through the garden, 
And as he was coming through the curtain, he had a heart attack on stage and died on stage at the London Palladium. Okay? And when he his hand slid down the curtain, people in the audience were laughing and laughing and laughing because they thought it was part of the act. That's how much influence he had as a performer. There was absolute genius, was Tommy Cooper. Absolute genius. They, they and he was there about, to the uh, end. They thought Sorry? that about Lenny Bruce. They thought that about Lenny Bruce, right? When he died, they thought it was a yes, big yes. joke. Yes. He was playing a joke on us. Well, it, it puts a whole different spin on it when you hear comedians say, oh, I, I died last night on stage. Yeah, yeah, well, that's a, yeah, that's, a, different slightly, that's, a, that's a slightly different interpretation, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, I but, was just going to say, talking about comedy, the other uh, thing that I'd love your insight on is one of the things that has always existed around comedy is the idea of speaking truth to power and, you know, talking about things that you wouldn't normally be able to talk about. Um, and you know, that's why court jesters appeared. Court jesters were the only ones who could, you know, speak truth to the king because they made it yes. a joke. And, right. and some of the, the shows that you've worked on and, and uh, people you've worked with, I was thinking of Blackadder. I mean, the, the final season of Blackadder set in World War One was, yeah. it was hilarious, but it was writing about real meaningful stuff as well at the same time. And the, the end scene, the most poignant scene of all, um, that has been recognised as probably the the most, um, shall we say, uh, significant piece of comedy writing. Richard, I think Richard Griffiths wrote that, um, yeah. and uh, it's been recognised as the most poignant scene in uh, in British comedy writing because of nobody expected that, no one at all expected that. Um, and I, I and you know when you can get something like that, um, so that is heartrending, um, and actually brings you to tears, even though you're supposed to be thinking that this is funny. Um, it, that's pure genius. That's absolute pure genius. But you take Blackadder as a very good example. Blackadder did, in fact, go uh, it go overboard in some ways because what what it did was uh, some of the jokes and things like that were all detrimental. Poor old uh, what's his name? Oh, uh, Baldrick. Baldrick. Yeah, Baldrick was the was the, the slap guy for for everything from that point of view. But of course, um, uh, you know the the Blackadder itself. Um, he was also subject to, um, shall we say, ridicule as well, because when the Queen used to insult him and things like that, you know, and, and he was he was a foil for, for a lot of the comedy. Um, some of the stuff that, uh, that that went that went through in the earlier part where it, it was like the Elizabethan times, those those times, um, they they. Um, they had some amazing characters. Um, the guy who died recently, um, the Scottish guy, um, uh, Robbie Coltrane. Yeah, oh, Robbie, yes. Robbie Coltrane was in was in that uh, uh, in that era as well. And so there was, you know, there were so many different characterizations. But those particular 
uh, shall we say, elements of the writing were done on character. They were done on character. They weren't done on uh, on situation. They were purely created from the characters themselves. Um, and and the situations would then develop around them. And, and that's the essence of very good comedy. Um, you know, that, and if you take them into different, shall we say, put them into different boxes, you, you've got situation comedies. Let's look at, say, for example, Butterflies. Butterflies was a, a British comedy, and it was about a dentist and his wife, and his wife was thinking about having an affair, and he had two young boys. Uh, they had two young boys. Uh, and and basically, it, it was gentle comedy. It was really gentle, but there was you know, there was pathos in it. There was there was uh, there was also um, element, very good humour as well. But it was all character. Everything was all about character, not necessarily the the situation itself, but mainly the characters that that, that actually develop. Um, and and there are so many like that that have done that sort of thing. I Whereas um, I think today you'd find it difficult to write the kind of situation comedies that uh, that that were around in the eighties, nineties, that seventies, eighties, nineties. It would be very difficult to write uh, those sort of things. Because well, yeah. of the because of the society that we have, right? Society's changed for sure, and and sometimes I'll watch a lot of those old sitcoms that I liked as a kid, and then I you know I watch them with my kids now, and I'm like, ooh, I don't know how they got away with doing those things, but it was a different yeah. time, right? But I yes, agree, oh, like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the characters are really what make comedy, I think, most of the time. Like, you know, you can have a funny situation, sure, but, like, you need those characters that are funny or, or, or quirky or have their specific, you know, often they'll have something, you know, about that character that, you know, they don't like this type of thing. And, and so you put them in a, in a situation where that thing is happening and it's funny, right? But if you put in a different character, it wouldn't be funny, right? It's that, it's that combination of, of character and situation. But, but, but the characters themselves they're funny and you can put them in in many different situations and and which is why you know the sitcoms have many episodes right and they're always around the same characters because the characters yeah. are funny right but you just keep putting them in different situations yes. and i think you know if you can write those kind of characters that that mesh well together that play off of each other then that's how that's like one of the winning formulas i think to to having a sitcom or, or one of these kinds of types well, I mean, a prime example in the American market is Friends, okay? Friends in its own way uh, created its own genre because what it did was uh, it united all the different characters together, uh, put them in different situations, although the majority of the situations were taking place in the flats or in the, in, in the locality, in the cafe bar. They didn't really go too far out of the... The, out of the locations, except when they went to o off location, like when they, they went to the UK and things like that, or they went to Vegas. But it was still characterization, very much like, very much so. Same as uh, Two and a Half Men, uh, the same the same principle with Two and a Half Men. It was about the, the characterization, the little boy and, uh, you know, the, the brother and uh, the, the two brothers themselves. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's all that sort of, of, of that way. But what you have to analyze above all is, is it funny? 
because if it's not funny, there's no point in doing it. It's just, it has to be funny. I mean, look at the different shows that there have been on and have just been killed because they're just not funny. People don't watch them, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it can be it can be very, very, very hit and miss in some cases. But if you've got the right people doing the right job, then you're okay. Yeah, and a lot of times it is specific to the audience that you're you're delivering to, but then some yes. things transcend that even, right? Like if you look yes. at um, a lot of British shows that then that they take and then they they make them into American shows and they still do well, like The Office, right? Yeah. Rick yes. Your base, yes. You yes. know that that became a massive hit in in the US as well, and it was yes. completely redone. And I mean, you know, a lot of the episodes were similar, but you guys have six or, or, or eight episodes in a season, right? Where they got to translate that into a 22 to 24 episode season. In the yes. US. They yes. build it more, but they could do that because the characters were so strong and so well-written yes. played off of each other. Um, yeah. That, you know. and, 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 and a lot of that is to do with the um, individuality that Ricky Gervais brings to everything because he is, uh, you know, he is a very, very clever man. Uh, if you've ever watched Afterlife, you know, yeah. Afterlife is 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 a, a brilliant series, and it blends comedy so well with with the pathos of everything. But he he yeah. he 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 actually he actually makes he makes you laugh and he makes you cry. Uh, and mm-hmm. if you can do that, you, you you're a success. Yeah, he's one of my favorites for sure. Yeah, he yeah, he, he is definitely. Uh, a comic genius, same as Billy Connolly. I think Billy Connolly is, a, you know, in his own way, a, a comic genius because he he took he took the the situation, he took the stand up comedy to a new level completely. So unfortunately, we are rounding out the the top of the hour. So going to have we could probably sit here and chat about comedy uh, for ages. I think we've only gone through like some of the. The, we started to find some shows that, that Craig knew and I knew uh, together. But I think it's been so fascinating listening to you talk about um, comedy and how comedy can can impact people and resonate with people and like make a connection with people, which is at the end of the day yeah. what all writers want to do, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's uh, if you can if you can affect somebody whether you're writing a book for example and at the end of that book somebody turns around and goes well i love that book that was that was brilliant or they shed a tear then you've achieved something you know that, that, that that's that's what it's all about you want emotion and at the same time you want that emotion to be recognized because a writer doesn't want to just write for himself he wants to write for a people well, isn't that a brilliant note to end things on? So, Myron, where can people find out more about you? Um, well, I have a website. My own website is uh, myronedwardsbooks.com. Um, on there, you'll find uh, all of the books that I've written. Um, the, the, the first book I wrote was um, The Mistress of the Rock, which is a story about something that happened to me a long time ago. Uh, it's basically the epiphany moment that I had when I was at Aphrodite's Rock in Cyprus. So I won't go any more than that, only to say that if you want to see what I saw, go on to the YouTube video, which is at the bottom of the website, 
and you'll see for yourself what I uh, what I saw. Uh, and then there's a sequel to that, which is Skylar the Revenge, and then a follow-up, the third book, which is uh, Julie's Odyssey, uh, Alpha and Omega. It's all to do with contemporary Greek uh, history. Well, that is wonderful. We will shove a link down below in the description of this video so people can go and check those out. And while they're down there checking out those links, don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Leave a comment for Myron to, 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 uh, to let us know how much you appreciate everything he's had to, to share here. And of course, hit that bell notification so you get updated with every new episode of Fully Booked as they come out. Do you have any final words, Craig? Uh, no, I mean, just thank you for coming on, Myron. This was a fascinating discussion of, of comedy throughout, you know, the years and how it's changed, how it's evolved, you know, the different aspects of it in, in film and in, in uh, TV and writing. Um, and it was it was a pleasure having you on. So much to talk about. And, this, uh, you know, this time really flew by uh, really, really quickly. You've had a great storied career. Thank you very much. And uh, I do appreciate the opportunity. And uh, I wish you guys all the best. And um, Hopefully I'll get a chance to talk to you again. All the very best to you. Thank you. Yes. Thanks, thanks so much, Myron. And thank you, everyone who tuned in, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on your podcast. We really appreciate uh, you supporting us, and we'll be back soon with another episode. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.